0: Our Father, we come before you this morning, and it is our desire to see your glory. It is our desire to behold you in, in the truthfulness of who you are. Father, we want to see your beauty. We want to see your excellence. We want to see your holiness. We want to see your grace in such a way that it, that it fixes ourselves Rightly. Father, we understand that there is a sense in which if we don't see you rightly, we will never see ourselves rightly. If we don't see the, the essence of who you are, we will live lives that are deceived, that are blinded by reality, by by um unreality. And so, Father, right now we ask that you would give us listening ears that You would give us seeing eyes, that You would give us soft hearts, that You would give us the grace that we need to learn from the wisdom of Your Word, that we might be changed. And Lord, we pray that You would make us more joyful, more happy, more delighted, more excited, after seeing and hearing your word than before. We ask this for the glory of Christ and in his name, amen. Now just take uh, your Bibles and turn over a few chapters to Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11, verse 2 is our text this morning. And for you visitors, just so you know, we've been walking through the book of Proverbs And what we have stated is that we are after wisdom. The series is called Real Wisdom for Real Life. And and, and by that we mean we don't want fake wisdom, we don't want faux wisdom for some kind of pretend life. We're living a real life and we want real wisdom for real life. And what we've said is that wisdom is the skill to effectively navigate all of life toward the glory of God. That's what wisdom is. And so we're looking for that. And one of the key themes in Proverbs is the wisdom of humility. The wisdom of humility. And so this passage gets straight to it when it says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. It's so short, let's read it again. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. I grew up with a kid who lived in the town over from me, but we played ball a a lot together and against one another. And he was a pretty good athlete, but he was a really good pitcher. He was a really good pitcher. Um, He had a solid fastball, he had a wicked curveball, and he developed a changeup that was really deceptive to the hitter. And from the time that we were in Little League all the way up, this guy made it his mission in life to tell me how good he was. I mean, it, it never failed that if I showed up at the Little League field, he would run up to me and say, hey, Ryan, did you hear about my no-hitter? Or run up to me and say, hey, I, I struck out 13 batters the other night, seven of them looking. Or, or later on, he would say, hey, you know what? I've got a 1.15624 ERA, and it's dropping. I mean, he would just come up and talk to me about how good he was such that when we got in high school, he would tell me about how many schools had offered him. And, and then once we even got to college and played against one another in tournaments, even though we were miles and miles and miles apart, whenever we would see one another, he would come up to me and tell me what his record is and how many strikeouts he had and what his ERA was and how he was the number one pitcher, et cetera. And, you know, when, when he first started doing that when we were kids... You know, I would just be like, uh, okay, and then after a while, I started to try to just ignore him, because if you've ever been around somebody like that, you feel like if you ignore them, maybe they'll stop, but he never stopped, and, and so then I just started kind of just feeding the beast, you know, and I would just be like, man, you know, your fastballs like Nolan Ryan, your curveballs like Sandy Koufax, I mean, they ought to rename you Nolan's Koufax. Um, that, that's how good you are, um, but he just would go on and on about, and he was good. He, he was a very good pitcher. But I can tell you, I've never been a, around someone quite like that who just who orated their, their excellence like, like he did as a kid. The reality is, none of us are likely so bold-faced, so braggadocious about our accomplishments. Because we are we're more skillful than that. We we we're more subliminal than that. We're more subtle than that. And and listen to me, we're even more devious than that. Look, what what I would say about my friend and about at least, at least he was who he was. At least he told me how he felt. Because we are tempted generally to not only to be prideful, but to express our pride in such skillful ways that it looks like we're humble or we're normal. So when we think of pride, we inevitably think of that person who brags all the time, who talks all the time about himself or who herself, who wants everyone to notice them. We think of that person um, that just just kind of grates on you with how they talk about themselves or their families or their accomplishments or, or their successes. Let me tell you something about pride. Right now, I want you to think about pride. Let me tell you how devious it is. Just about none of you are thinking about yourselves. You're thinking about somebody else. Right? That, that's the nature of pride. Pride is blinding. Like we can, we can spot pride in other people from a mile and a half away. But we can stand one foot away from the mirror and look at it for ten minutes and we'll never see it in ourselves. That's the devious nature of pride. And so the goal of the message this morning is to reveal the ugliness of pride and the beauty of humility and then as, as that becomes revealed to us, it is to convince you that a life of humility is better and sweeter than a life of pride. It is better and sweeter than a, a life of pride. And then, and then I want to help you to choose, pride, to choose humility over pride on a daily basis. And so in my mind, what I want to do is I want to reveal to you what pride is What humility is, I want to convince you that humility is better than pride, and then I want to help you to cultivate humility in your life. And so let's just look down at the proverb, because I want to begin by simply just explaining the proverb. It is not very complicated. It's not complex. But let's look at it and read again. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Look at that word pride. That word pride literally means to boil over the edge to boil over the edge. And so if you would, picture with me uh, a fire. We're outside, we're maybe at the Browns Farm, and we've got this wood, and we've started a fire, and we've got this big, huge boiling pot this big huge boiling pot and, and we have put in a, a, a good amount of water and then we throw in tomatoes and potatoes and onions and corn and okra and then we've, uh, we've maybe killed a deer and thrown in deer meat and we're just stuffing it with meat and, and, and uh, vegetables and everything else such to the degree that it's not quite hot yet but we've filled the pot all the way up to the rim. Now, what's going to start happening As the pot gets warm because of the fire and as all of the stew becomes hot inside of it, what's going to happen? It's going to boil. And then once once it starts boiling, because we have filled it all the way to the brim, what's going to happen? It's going to boil over. It's going to boil over the rim, right? Because the heat caused it to boil over. Well, listen, this is what pride is. When the heat of correction or the heat of teaching, the heat of instruction, the heat of pressure comes into your life, you are so full of yourself, you're so full of your agenda, you're so full of your desires, you're so full of your wants, you're so full of what you want to accomplish for yourself in your life that you just overflow with yourself. Being prideful is being so full of yourself that you spill out over onto the world about yourself, And so when it says when pride comes, when pride enters, so does disgrace, so does disgrace, disgrace is shame, it's, it's dishonor, alright, now it doesn't say how it comes and it doesn't exactly say when the disgrace comes, it just says that it will come. But you are so full of yourself and so empty of wisdom, you are so intoxicated with yourself and so rebellious toward God that you do your own thing in your own way in spite of the glory and wisdom of God such that you ultimately are disgraced. Now think with me for a moment about a few examples in scripture where we see where pride leads to disgrace. Can you remember in Genesis chapter 11 when all of the people of the world were gathered together? Babel. You remember this? And they say, okay, we're building, all, we're building this huge city. And then they said, let us make a name. Do you remember for who? For ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves and we'll build a tower up to heaven. And so what does God do? God looks upon them who wanted to build a name for themselves, who were so full of themselves that he disperses them through all of the lands of the earth. And he causes them to speak different languages. Why? Because they were full of themselves. They were disgraced because they weren't full of the glory and wisdom of God, but rather the glory and folly of themselves. If you can remember in Numbers, Miriam and Aaron are siblings to Moses. And they get upset with Moses and they get jealous of Moses and they finally cry out, they say, what about us? What about our skills? What about our wisdom? What about all the stuff that we can do? And what does God do? God strikes Miriam with leprosy, if you can recall. Why? Because her pride ultimately led to the the disgrace and the shame of leprosy. King Uzziah was the same way in 2 Chronicles. But the one example that stuck out to me the most this week as I studied how pride leads to shame is in the book of Esther. Remember Esther? Esther? Remember how she became the wife to the king? And the right-hand man to the king's name was Haman. Remember Haman? Yeah. And Mordecai was a guy, he was a Jewish man, and he loved God. He was out for the glory of God. He wanted to protect the people of God. And Haman hated Mordecai. Haman hated him. And so Haman plotted the death of Mordecai, and had every intention to kill Mordecai such that he built a gallows in order to hang him. And one day, Haman, as the right-hand man to the king, came into the king's presence, and the king wanted to honor Mordecai because Mordecai had done something for him in the past. But Haman was kind of unaware of that, and so the king said, Haman, if I wanted to honor somebody, if I wanted to just treat somebody with a great deal of dignity, what should I do? And Haman thinks that he's talk, talking about himself. And so he says, well, you should, you should put your coat on, the king's coat, the king's robe, the king's throne, the king's crown. You should let him ride the king's horse. There should be a parade in the town so that everybody will bow down to him and honor him for who he is. And in Haman's mind, he's thinking, man, I'm going to have my own parade. I'm going I'm to be treated like royalty. It's going to be awesome. And so, the king doesn't do that for Haman. Who does he do it for? Does it for Mordecai? And so Haman goes home in self pity. He goes home wallowing in in uh, self deprecation, and ultimately Haman is hanged on the gallows that he had set up to kill Mordecai with. Because you see, pride leads to dishonor and shame, and ultimately to destruction. And that's that's the idea. But then the conversely, if you just look down at the text, it says, but, but with the humble is wisdom. And I think implied not only is wisdom, is honor. And to be humble here is just to be modest, is to be level-headed. Like, if you want to know what humility is, it is this. It is to see God for who He really is. And then, therefore, to see yourself for who you really are. That's where humility starts okay? Humility is to look on yourself the way that God looks on you. That is so important. But first, you have to see God. You have to see the sinlessness of God, the supremacy of God, that he's higher and better and more glorious than any other being. You must see the separateness of God, that there is just a distinction uh, about God that is so different and so distinct from us human beings. You must see that and revel in it so that when you see it, it then causes you to look in the mirror and see yourself for who you are. I remember Isaiah chapter 6. Can you remember when Isaiah chapter 6 is confronted with the glorious presence of God and the sight of this magnificent picture of the glory of God. It is an amazing sight. And Isaiah is just cast down before this picture of God's glory. And he says, Behold, I, I am I, I, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and, and I dwell among a people uh, of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. He was humbled by what he saw in the sight of the glory of God. And I I just want to tell you this, church. Nobody has ever seen the glory of God and walked away and said, I'm awesome. I am so awesome. And so the first thing that we must have in order to have a humble spirit is a sight of of the perfections and the holiness and the purity and the majesty of the great God of heaven and earth. And then we'll see ourselves for who we really are. And that's really where humility starts. Because then, once you see yourself for who you really are, you understand that you're just a servant of the king. That you're just an ambassador of this king. That you are privileged that you are privileged to be able to represent him and to serve him and to worship him and to love others the way that God himself loves uh, all all people. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. And so with wisdom, I with humility comes wisdom. Now, some of you have learned the definition of wisdom or what we're calling the definition of wisdom. Can anybody right now think you can define it? Abigail, what is wisdom? That's exactly right. Wisdom is the skill to effectively navigate all of life toward the glory of God. And this is the, this is the key, Abigail. Abigail, when, when you see God for who he is, you see yourself for who you are. And, and all of this pride, this self-consumption, this self-agenda, this self-promotion that you're tempted to have, it goes away because you understand who God is, and now you understand who you've been created to be, and so now your agenda is God's agenda, and God's agenda is your agenda, and you can live life skillfully because you have the heartbeat of God and the same goals of God, and you're not contrary to Him, but rather you're with Him. He's for you, and you're for Him. That's how you can effectively navigate. So that's that's why humility leads toward wisdom because there's no obstacle now between God's agenda and your agenda. Hope that makes sense for you. So the big idea is when you're full of yourself, you'll be empty of honor. But when you're empty of yourself, you'll be full of wisdom and also of honor. If you make yourself high, you'll ultimately be made low. But if you make yourself low, you'll ultimately be made high. Now, it sounds a lot like the teaching of the rest of the Bible, and specifically the teaching of Jesus. If you remember the words of Jesus, for whoever is first shall be what? Last. Last. And the last shall be what? First. And whoever saves his life will what? Lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will do what? Will find it or save it. That's right. And so pride leads to folly and disgrace, where humility leads to wisdom and honor. That's the meaning of the text. That's it. Okay? So we can either stop right now, we can close our Bible, sing a couple songs and go home, or, or we can get underneath it and we can say, well, why, why do I find myself inclined toward pride? And where does pride come from? And how can I eradicate pride from my life so that there can be no distinction between my agenda and God's agenda? Okay, And so I simply want us to look at two things. I want us to look at the problem of pride and the beauty of humility. The problem of pride and the beauty of humility. I just want to make some statements about pride and then make some statements about humility. And by God's grace and His Spirit teaching us, He will instruct us and train us toward humility. So the problem of pride. First, I want to say pride pursues personal glory instead of God's glory. Like if you want to understand pride at its core, pride is the pursuit of personal glory instead of God's glory. It is your personal commitment to steal glory from God and achieve glory for yourself. It is to be so full of yourself that you have no room for God and for other people. Pride is your attempt To glorify yourself, promote yourself, serve yourself at the expense of the glory of God and the joy of all people. Now what I want to say about pride is that pride is natural. It comes natural to us. Okay, It is innate in our human fallenness. We desire glory. Now, the the cool thing is that all of us desire glory. It doesn't matter whether you're Wes or, or Ron or Abigail or Alexander. All of us desire glory. And that's a good thing that we desire it, that we want it, that we long for it. But in our fallenness, we naturally desire not God's glory, but our own. Okay, that's a problem. It's a problem. And so this is what pride does. Pride steals from God what belongs to Him, and it parades itself around as if there's nothing wrong or out of order. When I was in the ninth grade, I had a a guy in my school who stole my Nike wind pants from my locker. Um, It was bad enough that I didn't have any pants to wear for the rest of the day. But the next day, that guy had the audacity and the boldness to wear those Nike wind pants to school. Okay? This is what pride is. Pride is saying, I'm going to steal glory from God and then I'm going to have the audacity to live before God every day trying to achieve my own glory. That's what pride is. Pride steals from God what belongs to Him and parades itself around as if nothing is wrong. And so pride pursues personal glory instead of God's. Pride motivates you to commit all kinds of other sins. This is huge. Pride motivates you to commit all kinds of other sins. You argue with your friend because you want to prove to him that you're right. And why do you want to prove to him that you're right? Because you want to be right because you're committed to promote yourself and your glory more than anything else. That's why you argue with your friend. You see, anger and argumentativeness is rooted in pride. You're trying to get a leg up. You're trying to get a foot up. You're trying to get an advantage over other people so that you can show how right and righteous you are. Children, you look at me. You don't do your chores that you're supposed to do on a Saturday morning? You don't do that because you don't feel like doing that. And you don't feel like doing that? Why? Why don't you do that? Because there's nothing in it for you. You're serving everyone else and there's no glory for you. There's no advantage for you. You don't feel like it because it doesn't tend toward or contribute to your personal glory. Laziness is rooted in pride. You brag about your sports or your academics and you tell people how smart you are or how achieved you are or how successful you are. Why? Because you're out for personal glory rather than the glory of God. We can go on and on about examples about how other sins are motivated by the sin of pride. I mean, even so far as you don't sign up for service opportunities at the church. You don't sign up to cut the grass or to clean the building twice a semester or do pre-meal prep or post-meal prep. Why? Because there's not really anything in it for you. And it would take sacrifice in order to do it. And that is rooted in pride because you're out for your glory and your comfort and your satisfaction rather than God's and other people's. You say bad things about a co-worker or to, a, uh, or to someone else, maybe your boss. Why? Because you feel like if a promotion is to be had, it's going to be down between you and her. And if you can slide in a few bad characteristics about her, then you might get the advantage of getting the promotion over her. You see, lying and deception and malice and slander is rooted in pride more than it is in anything else. We can go on and on and on about sins that are rooted in pride. Third thing I want to say about pride is that pride enslaves you to your personal agenda. It enslaves you to your personal agenda. It binds you to the the agenda of the unholy trinity. Anybody know what the unholy trinity is? Me, myself, and I. If you can't get some kind of glory, some measure of comfort some kind of physical satisfaction or material gain from this, then you won't do it because you're prideful. And if you're prideful, then you are enslaved to the ball and chain of your personal glory. I, 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 I can't remember where I heard this first, but I think it makes a lot of sense. The smallest package in the world is a man or woman wrapped up in themselves. Right? Right? Because they are enslaved to their own personal glory. And unfortunately for them, any one person's glory is never sufficient. It is never measurable toward the glory of God. Have you ever looked at another Christian who consistently loves God and serves other people? Get in your mind right now a Christian that you know who loves God and serves people regularly and joyfully. Get that person in your mind. And do you ever ask the question, how do they do that? How do they do that so consistently? And how do they do that so joyfully? How do they give themselves over day after day, month after month, year after year, loving God, worshiping Him, and serving others without seemingly no agenda of their own? The answer to that question is easy. They have been set free from the prison house of selfish agenda. They have been set free from the jailhouse of personal pride. They realize that life is not about them, it's about God. Life is not about serving self, it's about serving others. And when you realize that it's, it's not about you, and it's not about what I can get, how comfortable I can be, how successful I can achieve too, it, everything goes out the window and you're free to love and worship and serve and, and be an ambassador for God, and there's no strings attached. Fourth thing I want to say about pride is that pride is not a matter of if, it's a matter of where. I know that doesn't make sense initially. Pride is not a matter of if, it's a matter of where. None of us are immune to pride. Though it shows up in different forms and to different degrees, it infects every one of us. That's what I mean. You and I should not be asking the question right now, I wonder if I have any pride in me. (laughs) No, we need to be asking the question, where is it? that pride does exist in me. Yeah. That's right. And so, here's a question. In what areas of your life are you still holding tight to your glory and your agenda? Let's, let's take a few minutes right now and let's, let's just think, let's do a little self-evaluation. I'll say, Ryan, Ryan, in what areas are you holding on to your selfish agenda? What areas are you holding on to self-glory? You need to ask yourself that question right now. Let me ask you this. Are you unteachable or unwilling to be corrected? Do, Do you rise up and argue the minute that your parents or your husband or your wife confronts you with a problem or a sin or an area of disobedience? Let me tell you, you've got an element of pride that if you are unwilling to be corrected, you're unwilling to be taught. Are you disrespectful or dismissive of authority? Like do you just automatically, are you just pessimistic towards anyone who has spiritual authority or governmental authority or any other kind of authority and that in your mind you know better, you would do better, you would lead better, you would organize better, you would be better no matter what? Well then there's an area of pride in your life. Are you sarcastic or demeaning to people? Well, what you're doing is, is you're putting down others in order to elevate yourself, and you feel the need to have self-glory, and the way that you use it is to say bad things about people, either jovially or seriously. Do you run away from sacrificial service to others? Like you just, when you hear that there's a sign up to help, you, and you hear that there's something that's going to be going on, and the first thing that you think is, there's just really nothing in it for me well, then that's an area of pride for you. It's an area where you're seeking self-glory. Do you lack compassion for people in need? I mean, when you, when you hear testimonies today of people who have been going through difficult physical trials, potential diseases, illnesses, or whatever, is your first thought, oh, I hate that they're going through that. Lord, I thank you for your grace, and I pray for their healing. Or are you thinking, boy, I wish we could get on with the service? That's an element of pride that you have. It's a lack of compassion. Do you have a hard time admitting that you're wrong? When is the last time that you have said, I was wrong? Please forgive me. When's the last time you've said that? When's the last time you've asked someone's forgiveness? Let me ask you this how often do you pray? Do you pray infrequently? And when you pray, what do you mostly pray about? Because prideful people sometimes pray, but what do they mostly pray about? Themselves. Themselves. They can't remember the last time they spent five or ten minutes just praying for other people. No, because prideful people are still using God and their religion to promote themselves. Do you minimize your own sins and maximize the sins of others? Do you look, let's just say you're a a husband and a wife, and you get into some type of confrontation, and you blow up your spouse's sin as if they have committed some some heinous act that is worthy of World War III, and then you look at yourself and you're just like, I didn't do anything wrong. That's pride. It's pride. It's the minimization of your own sin and the maximization of other people's sins. Do you get jealous of other people's success? Do you get jealous of other churches' success? There's a hint that there's pride. I'm out for personal glory, not God's. Now, the last thing that I want to say about pride is that pride is something that God hates and that He punishes. Pride is something that God hates and that He punishes. Proverbs 16, verse 5 says that pride Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not go unpunished. Assuredly, he will not go unpunished. Cody, would you come up here for just a second, please? I just want to uh, illustrate something. Okay. In the Hebrew, in Proverbs 16:5, look at me right here. And put out your right hand. Put out your right hand. That phrase assuredly, literally, is hand to hand. Hand to hand, he will not go unpunished. What is Solomon trying to indicate in Proverbs 16, 5? Just as when two men shake on something, it's good as done. What the Proverbs writer is saying, just as surely as two men shake on something that is good as done, the prideful person will not go unpunished. It's as good as done. And so, you and I need to take pride seriously because... If we go headlong into a life of pride or even if we have a really good-looking spiritual life but we have little pockets, little closets of pride that we we hide from others, that we hide from God or even that we feed, that we just contribute to because we're just unwilling to give God to, I believe there is great danger in that. There's great danger because salvation is when you give all that you are and all that you have for all that Christ is and all that he has. So I just want you to see the problem of pride, but now let's look at the beauty of humility. The beauty of humility. First thing I want to say about humility is that it pursues the glory of God and the joy of other people. That's what humility does. It pursues the glory of God and the joy of other people. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with our... Our purpose statement over here, it says, Redeemer Church exists to pursue the glory of God and the joy of all people. In other words, we want to be a humble people. We want to be a people who are not out for our glory, who are not out for our comfort, who are not out for our agenda, but rather the agenda of God and the good of the people that God has put in our lives. And so humility pursues the glory of God and the joy of all people. And I think it's important that we understand that humility is more than a mindset. Humility starts with the mindset that God is great. God is glorious. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is awesome. God is majestic. God is wonderful. And we, and we, we, we carry that through the filter of our mind and into our heart, and we're so impacted by that. But it doesn't stop at a mindset Humility literally expresses itself in worship to God and service to others. You can't can't simply say that humility is the mindset of worship or the mindset of of being um, maybe congenial toward people. Humility starts with a mindset and it expresses itself in worship and love. Second thing I want to say about humility is that it is not marked by self-deprecation but rather self-forgetfulness. It's not marked by self-deprecation, but rather self-forgetfulness. The reason I say that is because some of us think wrongly about humility. We think humility is thinking terrible things about ourselves. Humility is, is saying, oh, I'm such a terrible person. I'm rotten. I've done so many bad things, and I think such terrible thoughts, and I'm just awful, 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 but at least I'm humble. All right, that, that's, not, that's not the idea. All right, Humility is not looking in the mirror and staring at yourself and saying, I'm a terrible person. Humility is not looking in the mirror at all and walking out of the bathroom and serving people and worshiping God. That's what humility is. It's self-forgetfulness. You get lost in the joy of worship and service to people. The third thing I want to say is that humility liberates you to joyfully pursue God's agenda. Humility liberates you to joyfully pursue God's agenda. Pride is bondage. It's bondage to self-glory, self-centeredness, self-comfort, self-esteem, self-exaltation, self-everything. It is enslavement to the pursuit of self-glory in all things. But humility is freedom. It's liberating it's exciting because if you're humble, you are unconcerned about getting glory. You're unconcerned about tr- being treated fairly. You're unconcerned about getting getting this, getting that, getting what you've earned, getting what you think is fair. Because humility says, "I'm not out to get. I'm out to give. I'm out to give." I'm going to tell you a fact. Uh, this is. Why humility leads to wisdom. If you just look back down at the text, verse 2, when you remove the obstacle of self-glory from your heart, then you will have an amazing skill to navigate all of life toward God's glory because nothing stands between you and God and your agenda and God's agenda. The beauty of humility. So I want to tell you two final things. Humility motivates you to worship God and serve people in all kinds of beautiful ways. It motivates you to worship God and serve people in all kinds of beautiful ways. You see, when you're humble, rather than blaming God for not having everything that you feel like you deserve, you trust God with everything. You trust Him. It doesn't matter whether you have a lot of money in your bank account Or very little money in your bank account. It doesn't matter whether you're going through multiple surgeries and a potential disease or whether you're completely healthy and running 50Ks all the time. It doesn't matter because you trust Him with your life and you trust Him with your health and you don't blame Him for lack of success or lack of good health, but you entrust your soul to Him who is majestic and great and wonderful and merciful and compassionate and the Savior of your soul. You trust Him. You love God rather than despise God. You pray to God, rather than ignore Him. You thank God for everything that you have, in spite of your difficulties, or maybe even because of your difficulties. You give thanks to God, because the person who is humble understands that every good gift comes from the Father of lights. You listen intently, rather than talk all the time. You realize um, one of the marks of pride is being talkative. We talked about that last week. And the reason that people talk all the time is because they want to show you how much they know, how skillful they are, how wise they are, how successful they are, and so they just talk, talk, and talk to prove their self-glory. But the person who's humble can sit in a conversation And lock eyes with a person and let them talk and let them talk and let them talk never interrupting. Why? Because that person is unconcerned about his own self-glory. He's unconcerned about his own agenda. He wants to be loving and gracious and kind the way that God has been loving and gracious and kind to, to him. You serve voluntarily and sacrificially. You confess your sin and repent quickly. You grant forgiveness. You do your best to overlook people's sins and mistakes And you love and serve people genuinely with no expectation or requirement to be loved back in the same way. The final thing that I want to say is that humility is possible only through the person, work, and spirit of Jesus Christ. Humility is possible only through the person, work, and spirit of Jesus Christ. A number of the children are me- memorizing Philippians chapter 2, I think it's verses 3 through 11 or 2 through 11, for their schoolwork. And so our boys have been working on that, and they rehearsed it this week for me, and they did a great job of, of uh, declaring the humility of the Lord Jesus. And in that passage, it says that Jesus Christ, who existed in the form of God, who he- who essentially existed in eternity past as God the Son, in perfect unity, perfect harmony, perfect fellowship with the Father and with the Spirit. He emptied Himself of His rights and His privileges as God, and He entered into humanity. And Jesus Christ became a man. The Creator of the world became subject to the world's pride. The creator of the world became subject to the world's hatred of God's glory. The creator of the world became subject to man's self-righteous arrogance. And he lived a life loving other people and voluntarily serving and sacrificing for people year after year after year. And then he entered into his ministry and people hated him because He was glorious. People hated Him because they they were getting their glory stolen by Him. And so they, 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 they had such ire, they had such angst against Him that they decided to kill Him. But if you think about Jesus as the creator of the world, the sustainer of the world, His parents were sinful and yet He obeyed them. His brothers and sisters despised Him, were jealous of Him and ridiculed Him and yet He continued to love them. His disciples turned on Him, and yet He loved them and went to them after He was resurrected from the dead. The religious leaders who were charged with organizing and administrating worship for all of the people of God hated Him with such hatred that they yelled out, crucify Him, crucify Him. All of these people are utterly prideful. They're out for self-glory. And yet Jesus in His humility, in the self-emptying nature of His love for others and His desire for the glory of His Father, He went all the way to the cross. And even when they are persecuting Him, even when they are yelling slanderous and murderous threats at Him, and even when they say, if you are who you really say you are, then come down off of that cross. Jesus could have come down Off of the cross. He could have called out a legion of angels, and he not only could have come down from the cross, but he could have judged and eradicated everyone who was saying those slanderous threats against him. But because he was humble and because he emptied himself for the glory of his Father and for the good of you and for I, he stayed up on the cross. He bore our sin, he bore our shame, and he was humble all the way to the end until he paid every last price for the penalty of our pride and then after they took him off the cross once he died people continued to ridicule him and mock him in his death but in great triumph on the third day he rose from the dead and I want to tell you something even in his resurrection from the dead Jesus did not go around and say "Huh, I told you so huh I'm going to judge every one of you. No. He offers life and hope and forgiveness and mercy and grace to everyone who is prideful, to everyone who is arrogant, everyone who is out for self-glory so that they can taste, so that we can taste the goodness and the mercy of a loving God who forgives prideful people. I would ask you right now, if you would, bow your head. Just get into a place where you can just meditate on your own life on your own heart. We're going to sing a song here in just a a moment. But I would be, I think, unfaithful as a shepherd if I didn't ask you to seriously consider right now in what ways, even as a Christian, are you tempted to be prideful? Is your money still your money? Are your hobbies still precious to you? They are sacred and no one can touch them. Is your favorite team sacred to you? Nothing, no one can stand in the way Of you promoting, participating in your team. Is your family, your children, so precious to you, so sacred to you, that nothing and no one, nobody's need, nobody's concerns, nobody's disease, nobody's hardship, Will ever stand in the way of you promoting your family's success and your family's achievement in this life? Folks, Christ has called you to walk just as He has walked, to put down the self promoting, self consuming, self agenda. And to take up His cross. And in taking up the cross, finding the joy and the liberation and the freedom of having no agenda of your own and simply desiring to promote God's glory and the good of other people. I want to ask you today, would you take this song, this couple of songs, and ask God to investigate your heart? And would you surrender any area of pride? Would you surrender any feelings any, any longings for self-glory to Him today, and ask Him to equip you, equip you toward a life of humility. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, will not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, Be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. My prayer this week is that Redeemer Church will be full of people who don't hide their pride and cloak it in religious language, but expose their pride as this tax collector exposed it and said, I want to be rid of it. I want to be rid of the pride of anxiety. I want to be rid of the pride of always having to be right. I want to be rid of the pride of greed. I want to be rid of the pride of talkativeness. I want to be rid of the pride of slander. I want to be rid of the pride of of thinking thinking that I'm better than other people because of the fact I go to a good church and not a bad one. I want to be rid of pride. That's been my prayer but this is what I know folks. This is what I know. It is in moments like this right here is when you decide I'm going to get rid of pride and I'm going to put on humility. Because after moments like this, music plays, the tables come out, you get in your car, and you're comfortable with the rest of your life. And so I want to ask you during this song, if you've got pride, if you're greedy, if you talk too much, if you're religious and proud of it, confess it to god make a decision today to say you know what i need help i've got a list i didn't get to today i got a list of 17 things you can do to weaken your pride and cultivate humility i would love to share that with you i would love to send that to you i would love to help you and i will tell you i don't have a book back in the back that i've written it's called the 10 most humble people in the world and how i taught the other nine all right i've not written that book i'm not saying that i'm humble I'm just saying that I've got the Scriptures and the Gospel and I believe we can help each other as we pursue Jesus Christ and His worthiness. Okay? So make a decision today. And if you need help, if you need prayer,